We are still in Mark chapter 12. So you can turn there. We're going to be reading today from uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 18 to 27. So last weekend when we were over at the camp, uh, we were looking at this encounter that Jesus had with uh, the, the Pharisees and the, and the Herodians that came to, to trap him in his, in his teaching. Um, and they were uh, addressing this idea of, of uh, paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus, you remember, took it to a totally different level where he was encouraging them to give to Caesar what is Caesar and the, thing that are, the things that are God's to God. And they marveled at him. The Pharisees are a, or were a group of, of uh, religious elite that were in, in Jerusalem. They actually kind of originated around the time of the exile when they were there in Babylon because they were away from uh, from the temple, uh, this all began to, to get started where there was a, a, a need to develop these synagogues. And, and the, the Pharisees were often the rabbis that would teach in the synagogues, teach, teach the word of God. And then as they returned, and uh, in the time of the Maccabees is, is when uh, it was during the, the Greek uh, uh, empire being in control of of Israel, the Pharisees really kind of came into power at that time, uh, again, through the power of the synagogues, through the, uh, because every community would have had its own synagogue. That's, those were the rabbis. Those were the ones that were, that were teaching there. Um, and so they, they thought that they were going to be able to uh, trap Jesus in, in this conversation. Um, but his answer marveled them it says there the last verse of 17 and they marveled at him and so we come to verse 18 the pharisees were unable to trip up jesus so verse 18 the sadducees now came to him who say uh, sadducees are the ones who say that there is no resurrection and they asked him a question saying teacher Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, but when he died and left no offspring, so the second took her. But he died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. Now, in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason that you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. 
For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. So you are quite wrong. The Sadducees, <clears throat> the Sadducees originated at the same kind of time as the Pharisees. It was during the time of the Maccabees. Now, I don't know why, but for some reason I had had this wrong idea of the character and the nature of the Sadducees. I had always kind of thought of them as being more of the secular um, uh, leadership in in uh, in Jerusalem and, and in Judah. Um, but as I was studying this week, I discovered that that was a wrong understanding. It was actually the Sadducees were quite conservative in their theology. And, and the Sadducees were connected directly with the priests, the high priests. They were the ones who, who served in the temple. They were the ones who, who, uh, who, who uh, kept the, the Torah. Uh, they were uh, very, uh, very conservative in the way that they interpreted Scripture. In fact, they, they rejected most of other Scripture. They held almost exclusively to the first five books of the Old Testament, of, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That, the Torah for them was, was the essential word of God. And they interpreted it quite literally. Um, the Pharisees were much more progressive, and they were the ones that were uh, uh, involved in, in more of the oral tradition and, and the, 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 uh, uh, the, the arguments and the debates that the rabbis would have over the years and got written down eventually into what was the Mishnah and then the Talmud. Um, the Pharisees were, were more progressive in that way, that they were open to all of these other parts that, that, that they understood to be interpretations of Scripture. But the Pharisees, uh, but the Sadducees dogmatically kept to the Torah. So if it wasn't stated in the Torah, then it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it didn't exist. It wasn't the Word of God. And one of the things that, that you will notice is that, that in the four, first five books of the Bible, there is, there's no real explicit description of resurrection, of any hope of heaven beyond this life. In fact, there's very little description at all of, of Sheol or anything like that. And so for, for the Sadducees, because of their, their tradition of, of following very literally of what was in the Torah, they rejected this idea that there was a resurrection. For them, this life was all that there is. And so it was, it was important in this life to live your best because this was all the opportunity that you had to be able to offer that up to God. So they were, they were the ones that were connected with the temple. 
they were traditionally more aristocratic. Uh, they were the wealthy ones. They, they were more politically connected with Roman leadership and, and worked hard to keep peace between the Jews and the Romans. Um, but with their understanding and with their literal interpretation of the Torah, they had rejected this idea of a resurrection. So when Jesus made statements like, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. They would have thought... There is no coming into the presence of God because that is beyond this life. Uh, they also, the, the Torah doesn't really speak about angels as well or any kind of spiritual beings. And so they reject this idea of, of angels and, and, and demons and things like that. And so those words that Jesus would have spoke, they would have gone, oh, ridiculous. That's not in Scripture. We don't accept that at all. When Jesus said things like, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes, or to be, uh, than to be thrown into hell where worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And again, they would say, there is no hell. There is no kingdom of God outside of what God establishes here on this earth. This is, this is preposterous. And so they rejected Jesus because of these kinds of teaching. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That totally flew in the face of the Sadducees perception that there was no eternal life so as they heard these 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 words that Jesus was saying they discounted him and now they wanted to to make sure that all of the people understood that Jesus had no idea what he was talking about and they wanted to reveal the absurdity of this idea of eternal life, of a resurrection. And so they come to Jesus with this hypothetical situation to show how ridiculous this idea, how totally opposed to the law of God this idea of resurrection really was. So they, they use a, a law that was... Uh, given by Moses, well, by God through Moses, that we find in Deuteronomy 25. Keep your finger in Mark, but if you want to uh, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 25, and we're going to read verses 5 to 10 there. This is uh, the law of uh, Leviret marriage. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 5. This is what God spoke. He said, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. 
Her husband's brother shall go to, into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed in the name of his dead brother, that, is, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if the priest saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother shall go up to him, his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull off his sandal off his foot, and spit in his face. Nasty. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. There's a reputation. But the whole concern of this was God's eternal promise to his people. That, that, that every, every family, every household would have a perpetual pre, uh, place in God's kingdom. Um, as it grew and developed, as it went through times of, of discipline and exile, and as it was restored back, that there would be somebody that would carry on that name. And it was uh, something that is actually not a lot of places, but there are, are two places for sure where we see this whole idea of the Leveret marriage being enacted. Um, there's the case of uh, of the son of Judah, Onan, who married uh, Tamar. And uh, he was, sorry, no, it was Ur that married Tamar. Um, but Ur then passed away without having any children. And so it, it then fell to the next oldest brother, Onan, to take his brother's wife and to perpetuate that family name through that. And he refused. And that then set up the whole scenario that you remember where, where Judah then on a, a trip into town uh, runs into Tamar not recognizing her and she put herself up as a, 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 a temple prostitute that he then um, lay with and impregnated. And then she, um, through that, was able to gain back her family name and her, and her honor um, by utilizing some trickery and all the rest of that kind of stuff. It's a dysfunctional family story, to say the least. Um, but it's in that that we see, it's actually through that line that we see Christ coming. God uses all of our dysfunction and brokenness, doesn't he? Also in the story of Ruth, you remember that, that her... Uh, her attempt to, uh, to have a wedding with Boaz was through this whole idea of kinsman redeemer, uh, that, that because her husband had passed away who, uh, and without any children, that she then went to Boaz to, to uh, receive that blessing of the family. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a rare law, but it certainly was a part of, part of that whole history, a part of Scripture. And the Sadducees 
being aware of all of those kinds of things, thought here's a great way to be able to catch up Jesus in this crazy idea of a resurrection. Because God, God's ideal for marriage is for one man and for one woman. The idea of polygamy, even though we see it so often in Old Testament scriptures and the lives of the people that are described there, we know that God's plan is for one, one woman and one wife. That's what marriage is all about. And for anything else to, to be established goes against God's law. So God would never create a law that would set up an opportunity for there to be a polygamous kind of a situation, especially if you were to think about this in God's perfection of heaven, as if there were such a thing. But their idea that, that, that if, if, God, if there were a heaven, how would God ever set up another law that would create this scenario where there would be polygamous marriages in heaven? That would be breaking God's ideal. It would, would totally tear apart that image of God's relationship with his people as being ex- exemplified through marriage. So they said, they, they thought to themselves that if we create this hypothetical situation, Jesus is going to have to either, he's going to have to either deny the Old Testament, deny the the Torah law, or he's going to have to uh, 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 go against what what the, the, the Pharisees were saying and what he had been teaching about this whole idea of resurrection. So they figured... They got him. But they forgot who Jesus is. Their smugness as they stood there thinking, ha, 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 he's ours. Totally vanished from their faces with the words of Jesus when he says, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Remember who these guys are. These are the priests. These are the ones who are dedicated to the Torah, to the law. They are the ones who are conservatively interpreting everything that is in, that they, they knew these five books backward and forward. That they, they live them out, that they, they tried as much as they could to follow everything that was here. These were the priests who were serving in the temple. These are the ones who were the mediators between the people and God. They were the ones who performed the sacrifices. They were the ones who, who, who made atonement for the people. Uh, The high priest was the one who was actually able to enter into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God. And here this man was saying that they know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. What a slap in the face that was. But then Jesus goes on to show how their understanding of God was totally off base that they had missed everything that, that God had been saying in Scripture. 
So first, well, first he, he talks about um, their, their lack of understanding about God's power. But look at, at this other. He says that he, he then uses this uh, uh, um, experience of Moses there at the burning bush to show that they don't know the Scriptures as much as, as they claim to be these, uh, the conservative interpretation of the law, that they were missing the very words there that God was saying. He says that, that there in the burning bush when God spoke to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What Jesus was saying is God's promises have no limit. So if God had made promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to, uh, to Jacob, that if they were now dead and buried and no longer existed, if there was no resurrection, then the limits of his, of his promise could only be for that time period because they were now dead and so his promise to them no longer existed. But Jesus is saying that that God's promises go far beyond this life. That when God makes a promise like that, it is a promise that lasts for eternity. And so if God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then he is the God of the living, that they have been raised and are continuing to experience the blessing and the promise of God. You'll note that Jesus is taking this from a verse right there in the Torah, out of Exodus. The passages that they would have been studying, which would have known about. And so Jesus goes to even their own limitation, the limits that they've put on God's word, and is able to use God's word to be able to show that indeed God has promised and has planned a resurrection right from the very beginning. The other aspect of where Jesus is saying that they are wrong, that they know not the power of God, is their limited understanding of the wonder of what eternal life in heaven is like. This idea that, 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 that marriage, which here on earth is the most wondrous of all relationships, the most intimate connection that we can have with, with others, that God has blessed us with this this glorious opportunity of connecting with another person in such a, an intimate, wonderful way. That even that wonderful thing here on earth, the, the pinnacle of human existence, is nothing in heaven. The, the wonder of heaven, of eternal life, is so far greater than anything that we can compare to on earth. He says there is no need for marrying. There is no giving in marriage in heaven because relationship goes so much greater than even that most wonderful experience that we have here on earth. It challenges my conception of heaven. I don't know. Have you ever tried to imagine what heaven would be like? 
for me, it's, you know, I, I try and think of, of some of the most wonderful things that we could experience here on earth. I think of, of pristine champagne powder snow. Untouched skiing that just goes on and on forever. You don't have to wait in any ski lift lineups. You just continue to ski and ski or board or board. With, uh, just, I, I, I can just, it's all I often fall asleep is just imagining that beauty. Or, or, or a, a beach. You know those beaches that you see in pictures that I don't know actually really exist, but they are so amazing. The, 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 the golden sand, the, the emerald blue of the water, the palm trees with the, the mangoes hanging like whatever out of the trees. You just <laughs> and, and just all of the succulents and all of the beauty and just to relax there and all of that wonder to float in the water, to hear the waves crashing on the sea and just that. Compared to heaven, that's garbage. It's ugliness. It's, it's boring. It's mundane. It is nothing. Heaven is so much more than anything that we can experience here on earth. And Jesus is saying, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no conception of the wonder of who God is. You try and compare it to things that are on this earth, and, and, and they will always fall terribly short they don't even compare that's the wonderful hope that we are called to today see there is a resurrection that God is the God of the living not the dead. That his promise is, is for us has no end. That we will experience the wonder of his presence. That we will be able to bask in the glory of his love that we will be able to drink deeply of His living waters forever, without end. Far greater than anything that we might be able to conceive of. There's a warning implied in that though, right? Because the words of Jesus not only talk about an eternal life, but there is also the eternal punishment of hell. And that in this life, if we refuse to choose life, we are destined for that eternity separated from God. Where, where all of the good things that we can think about in this life are no longer ours. 
Because as James says, God is the, the giver of every good and perfect gift. So if we are separated from Him, if we want nothing to do with Him, we remove ourselves from everything that is good and wonderful. And just like heaven being far greater than, than the most wonderful thing that we could conceive of, of in this earth, so hell is infinitely worse than the most horrendous, horrific situation, scenario that we can imagine here on this earth. You hear some people glibly saying, I don't want to go to heaven because all of my friends, all of my heroes are in hell. And I don't care about that. I want to be with those ones. Without recognizing that friendship, relationship, is one of the good gifts of God. That by separating yourself from God, you are separating yourself from any relationship. That, that sorrow, that, that grief, that, that torment that, that is experienced in hell is an experience in isolation. That there is no relationship, there is no friends that you can hang out with and party with in that terrible place. It is a lonely, isolated existence away from the presence of God. And just as the Sadducees rejected the eternal life, they were also sadly misinformed about the eternal death. What about you? Which will you choose today? Will you respond to that invitation that Jesus lays out before all of us? That His death is the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for all of our sin. And that when we receive that by faith, when we trust in Him to purify us, that we are set free that we are adopted as his children that we are welcomed into his family and into his presence for now and for all of eternity why not choose life That's what's set out before each and every one of us because that's the only choice. It is either life or you receive death. I don't know what choice you have made in your life up to this point, but let me encourage you. Choose life. Receive that gift that Jesus offers to each and every one of us and experience the wonder of eternal life that begins now and will continue on forever. Let's pray.
Dear Jesus, we thank you that you have offered us life. That you have given us the promise of something far greater than we could ever imagine here on this earth. Thank you that you have given us freedom from our sins. Thank you that you have given us the forgiveness from the penalty of our rebellion and rejection from you. Lord, I pray for each one that's here today. Lord, for anyone that has not yet made that choice to receive your grace, Lord, I pray that this morning your spirit would be working in their heart and you would draw them to a place of knowing you, of trusting in you, of following hard after you. And that in that place that they would receive the freedom of being your child and of being welcomed home into your presence. Amen.